1: Thank you to everyone who supports this show and all of the shows on the Major Spoilers podcast network. If you are not already, you can become a Major Spoilers member by signing up at Patreon.com/slash MajorSpoilers.
2: The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later.
3: I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo.
2: And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. This week on the Major Spoilers Podcast, it's the return of Atomic Robo, but for how long? Plus, there's a new Blade Runner in town, and she's the best. We go where no one has gone before, and yesterday, all our troubles seemed so far away. But today, it's time for the Major Spoilers Podcast. Welcome to issue 836 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for checking us out. We are back again. I know some of you uh, said, uh, where's your show last week? Ah, we were out. We were on vacation, the holidays, you know, man. We actually got a top five. It's not coming out this week, but we do have a top five coming up where we talk about vacation destinations. So be on the lookout for that over at Majorspoilers.com. Ashley is here this week. Hello. Rodrigo is here this week. I am. Matthew is not here this week. So it's weird, right? I mean, Rodrigo's gone and Matthew's here. Now, Matthew's gone and Rodrigo's here. I don't has know what that anyone, means.
1: Has anyone ever seen millionaire playboy Matthew Peterson and Rodrigo Lopez <laughs> in the same place at the same time?
2: Only if they went to Nurtacular 20, what is it, 16? Yeah. All right. Let's get to some news. Oh, do, 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 do. This week on.
1: He's hitting. He's like. Matthew is like the the. He's like those little bolts from Ikea. Yeah,
2: you're He's right. Just like, you the, the you never know what they're there for. You never know what they're there for, and you end up yep. with five of them laying around when you're done. Uh, this week in our news category, we have The Walking Dead comes to an abrupt end. Mad Magazine also comes to an abrupt end. And ooh, that Mulan trailer has arrived. Let's, uh, let's uh, flip a coin. I know, it's a three-sided coin. Mad Magazine comes to an end. This was also kind of a surprise. When was the last time you guys read Mad Magazine?
1: It was never? a long time ago
2: long, long time ago. Yes. I can still remember the time I asked for my mom for 25 cents to buy so I could round it up. I think it was a dollar at the time to get the Mad Magazine. Then she had a fit because the tax made it a dollar five. Oh, man. She had a fit right there at the Alco and wouldn't let me buy the Mad Magazine. I remember reading Mad Magazine so much when I was a kid because it was so much making fun of the current pop culture that was going on in the day and what was it actually just like a year or so ago they totally revamped mad magazine brought in new editorial uh, staff yeah, new creators
3: maybe, maybe less than that
2: made it even more satirical and maybe hard-hitting than what people remember but then suddenly well, last
3: week go ahead i was gonna say that's a in my opinion uh just to kick someone when they're down that's a move they should have made. Uh, I don't know, a decade ago. Maybe you're, about you're the time when right. cracked made it. You yes. No.
2: Yes. But uh, uh, apparently, it's... Mad Magazine is no longer going to release any new content. They've got like two more issues, I think, to go, and then uh, DC Comics is only going to start re-releasing uh, content from their archive of 67 years of Mad Magazine history. So you know that Jaws uh, parody that they did. From 1970 or 1980, uh, that'll be fresh and new again yeah. maybe uh, maybe they're maybe they're what they're really talking about is spy versus spy, a lot of uh, some of their other other evergreen content uh, that you could get. they're going to republish that going forward, and we'll see how long that lasts. My guess is this time next year, uh, there won't be a mad magazine anymore that they won't even be reprinting the the reprints.
3: I don't understand the value in reprinting. I mean, they already are doing collections. Like there are several collections mm-hmm. of spy versus spy mm-hmm. there. They have several art books. Like I can understand why you would want to focus your effort of uh, that away, but yeah, I don't really so, understand why you would want to reprint.
1: I think, I think it's just milking that nostalgia. This, this announcement drops
3: yeah. and people are like, Oh, I
1: remember mad magazine. But if they pick up, the newest uh, edition of, of mad magazine, they're going to be making fun of YouTubers. And I'm like, I don't even know who this person is. Yeah. yeah. So if they, if they do reprint that like 1981, you know, mad magazine where uh, they're making fun of the latest jaws movie, like that, that's actually going to be something that old mad magazine peeps are going mm-hmm. to be interested.
2: Yeah. Now, you make a good point about, are people going to understand this? Because when I was growing up, those Mad Magazine collections were kind of a, a bonus for me when I found them in my grandparents' basement, uh, where I was like, oh, here are stories from like the first decade of Mad Magazine. And I didn't know everything that they were referencing, but it was still somewhat sure. funny. Yeah. But yeah. the things that I really did fall in love with were the Al Jaffe bits the spy versus spy bit bits, the little, you know, little non sequitur bits that they would have uh, as the in-between main sections. And those would be collected. And I really enjoyed reading those. And, of course, I really fell in love with spy versus spy as a kid in the 80s when everything was Cold War. And so finding those collections actually really were mm-hmm. neat to have because instead of, again, you couldn't go back unless somebody had it in a collection somewhere. You couldn't go back five years and find a mad magazine from five years ago. Now it's probably
3: the library. I know. Right.
2: Um, (laughs) Nowadays, it is much easier to get some current issues.
3: Absolutely. And and through various outlets, they're digitized. And Mm -hmm. I, I think there is still, I don't know, man, DC making some crazy moves right now. Maybe it's that new president. Maybe it's the fact that there's them rumors that WB is going to sell them. Who knows? But I think, I think shuttling mad completely is a bad move because there is value in their back catalog. Mm -hmm. I just don't think it's reprinting old content. I think it has to be better curated than that.
2: Yeah. And I, I really think that there's a good place for political satire, but I wonder, and any, anybody can answer this one, but I wonder if, well, two, two questions. I wonder if this is the onions fault. (laughs) And by the onions fault, I mean, A lot of this same humor can be found online for free super easily.
3: Well Well, yeah, but they didn't adapt to the digital age. I mean, that's why I brought up cracked, which doesn't exist really anymore, but cracked took their place.
1: Well, I I mean it's it's interesting that you bring the onion, that you bring up the onion because the onion did adapt. The onion didn't start out Mm -hmm. as an Mm -hmm. online joke place. Mm -hmm. It was a free newspaper around Chicago. Right. And now it's world renowned uh, you know satire uh, you know people knew it before but the it it really managed to capitalize on you know what we didn't even know we wanted out of online satire
2: mm-hmm. so mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's it's an excellent example of how basically crack.com or you know
3: college uh,
1: cracked went down that direction of making those little video skits and that worked out for them for a long time and crack fell apart for like kind of corporate reasons it wasn't it wasn't a lack of traffic i'm pretty sure
3: Mm -hmm. Um, yeah yeah
1: uh and yeah, same thing like all of these little places started popping up and it was probably hard for mad to compete with that i mean mad had mad tv for a long time who Mm -hmm. was like probably the only serious direct competition that Saturday night life has ever had right um and then eventually that went away as well so it's just kind of you know they just n- never really found their footing post like 1999 And it's kind of taking them this long to, you know, fall all the way down. Well,
3: because I'll be I'll be honest. I mean, I was born in the early 90s and I don't know if I've ever actually seen a person reading a mad magazine that wasn't on TV. Like, I don't know if it even permeated into my generation.
1: Probably not. The last time I remember picking up an actual mad magazine and reading it, that wasn't like a library copy. Like that was actually on a newsstand Mm -hmm. because that.
2: That's really the only place you can get a
1: joke in it about interview with a vampire. (laughs) That's, that's the last time that I like legit picked up a mad magazine and lift, leafed through it.
2: There is a moment. Which
1: will tell you a, how old I am and b how old mad magazine is.
2: Right. Well, I mean, 67 years. I mean, uh, for me, it was, there's this moment in high school where you transition from mad to national lampoon, or you transition to reading, other stuff um, that you can now buy because you're 17 and the lady behind the counter isn't giving you the stink eye as much. Yeah, as much. But yeah, there was something about me growing up where you, we would go on a school bus trip and at least, and I went to a small school, but on a bus full of 40 kids at the middle school through about freshman, sophomore age. And this would be like probably about 85 there would be at least three people that would have a Mad Magazine or two that 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 they would re, that everybody would kind of pass around and read and want to do the Mad Fold-in and all that stuff. So the second thing that I think is the fault of this, and, and it may just be because of Mad's inability to adapt, but um, Scott Johnson was talking about this on the morning stream or maybe he mentioned it on Twitter. He's like, oh my gosh, I remember reading Mad Magazine all the time when I was a kid. And and it's kind of just like the story I just told. But you haven't been reading it. You didn't pass it on to your kids. You didn't encourage them to pick up copies. So at some point. The readership aged out of Mad's humor and they didn't pass on that love of the humor to the next generation. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And that's kind of our fault for letting Mad die. Or get mad where it's in, in the position where it's at. I mean, that's what happens with any comic book, right? There's not enough sure. reader. The readership dries up and goes away. They find a different interest. And no longer do we have Adam Warlock.
1: I mean, you have, Stephen, you have actual children. How does I do. It ever it's go?
2: amazing. I cannot believe it.
1: How does uh. it ever go when you say, here's this thing that I enjoy and care about, child? You get into oh, it. Oh,
2: man. I was, I talked you about say, this. Would you
1: say there's a 50 50 <laughs> chance that it's going to go well or below that?
2: Oh, it's well below that. I was on the, what is it, the some uh, geek father podcast? I forgot what the name of the, the podcast was. I was oh, interviewed. Geek Dads? on. Yeah, Geek Dads. I was on that yeah. uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and talking about, you know, here are my experiences with my kids. And, you're right. The minute you go to your kid and say, Hey son, here's a superhero comic book that I think you'll love. You come back an hour later and it's like propped underneath the table to keep it from wiggling. That's yeah. how they think about it. And that is just, that is a frustration um, that you, that you, that happens with any, I think parent child relationship over time. Now, now that's not always the way it is with every parent child relationship, but I think for, for a large group of kids, their parent the stuff that their parents are into are lame and that's why wow. that's why that's that's going to be the end of, of social media right as soon as all the the nerdy grandparents get on on instagram or uh uh what's the that's
3: why no one likes facebook anymore snapchat I mean, that's what it
2: is the minute all the grandparents be, get the on the snapchats of, that's the end it's
1: of gonna it be, yeah it's going to be the end of particular social media sites right yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like I I'm going to be the last old man on Twitter. Like, Hey, look at this kids! (laughs) It's like everybody, everybody else. It's like, there'll be like a whole group of adults that are starting to freak out that them dressing up like anime characters and pretending and lip syncing while pretending to be cartoons is not what the kids are into anymore.
2: Right. Right. Look it up. So, I mean, part of it is, is that I, I think, um, I, I don't know. I can't tell you uh, literally the last time I read mad magazine would have probably been in like 85, 86, somewhere around then. Yeah. And it's just, I I never look back because it's like, Oh, well I find this more interesting. I find, you know, these magazines or these books more interesting. I think I discovered Douglas Adams about the time I stopped reading mad magazine because it was a different type of humor that I just found more entertaining. Yeah. So, and that's, that's, that's
1: the, that's the question with any sort of publication like that is, do you change to chase after your old readership? Do you change to uh, adapt to like uh, the new kids coming in?
3: That's the ongoing and problem with Star Trek, isn't it? <laughs>
1: that's, that's the ongoing problem with everything. Look at mm-hmm. DC Comics in general. Would you say that they are adapting to chase down a new demographic? or desperately holding to an old demographic. Don't answer. It's rhetorical, but you know the answer.
2: <laughs> the have answer so is many feelings. They don't, <laughs> yeah, see, oh, man, there's saying. so many ways you can go on that. Yeah, uh, Yeah. It's, it's really weird. Uh, the thing is, I think at this point they should just say, yes, we've got these last two issues of Mad Magazine that are coming out, and then Mad Magazine will no longer be published unless we're going to publish these collections, the Al Jaffe collections. I love the I give little it, Al Jaffe cartoons. I give it cartoons. 10 years
3: before it's relaunched. Max. Oh,
2: I know, not even 10 years. Um, four I mean, Toys R Us
1: is already back.
2: Yeah, I, I'm giving it four years and then Mad Magazine will be back. But it's weird because they just relaunched when. when um, was it Trump became president, or was it Weird Al that did that first issue? I know it's it, they seem to coincide Al, with one
3: with uh, one another. The Weird Al was before. Okay, I only know this because Jason interviewed Weird Al for DCL Access when that happened. It <laughs> was and and then they relaunched when he was uh, working for CBS. He wasn't working for DC anymore, oh, okay, so Weird okay. Al was about a year before the relaunch.
2: Okay, all right, yeah, it's just weird that they relaunched and they brought in a really talented uh, Ally Gertz to to kind of run. Uh, Mad Magazine, and I thought that that was that was really good. She was the 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 editor of uh, Mad Magazine. I thought she was, I thought she was doing a good job. She was just recently on um, uh, Diamond uh, uh, Night Attack with uh, Justin and um, and Brian, and talking about that and how everything was good. And she goes on to Twitter and says, "I didn't even know this was happening. This blindsided me." Now, who said this is a WB thing?
3: Oh, I did. I did. Yeah. That so. Was
2: me. You know, well,
3: it's hard ever not since to 18... think that it's a bigger issue because they're shuttling so many things, mm-hmm. and and so many things that have been staples for so long. And well, there's... yeah,
1: Vertigo's shutting down right. as, I, as an imprint, right? I,
3: again, I give it, I give it ten years tops, oh, three years and they're, tops. They're rebranding, they're rebranding the the DC Inc and Zoom, which haven't even I know done I haven't even full... done anything they're full line yet. And they're announcing new DC kids books when they haven't even fulfilled their initial promise of what those books, but they, whatever. Um, I know DC got a new president last, yeah. last year, earlier this year. And there's these persistent rumors that W that at and post merger is going to sell them off.
2: Yeah. So uh, yeah.
3: I, I, I mean, it looks to me, you know, let's not talk about seeing forest for the trees. This looks like a forest fire. Yeah. And at this rate, DC Comics will be lucky to exist in time to relaunch all of these titles and brands that people love. Just because your brand isn't successful doesn't mean it's not good and there's no value in it. And I maintain that about a lot of old comics projects that, like, sure. t- if the name is good enough, you yeah. can change and update it if you, have, if you have the right people. Which, you know, like we always say here on the show, like, even characters we don't like can have great runs right. if the
2: quote-unquote right have people... To- you have to have a belief in it. you have to be- have to believe that it's going to work, right? So in yeah. the case of and this is and so I'm just going to use this example um the Doc Savage movie from the 1970s and I've brought this up before because this was a movie I, I want to say who 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 was the uh this might have been. I was looking to see who the uh, the studio was, but here's here's what happened. They had a new president come in right in the middle of Production of of Doc Savage, the movie. And it's got Ron Ely in it as as Doc Savage. That's really good. It was um, uh, directed by, gosh dang it, the guy who was in, let me see if I can bring it up really quick. The guy who was in um, The Time Machine, the main actor from The Time Machine, was wanting to do some directing stuff. And the new president came in, and he basically wanted nothing to do with anything the previous president had done, and so he slashed, he canceled projects that weren't already in production. Those that were in production, like Doc Savage, he savaged the budget, slashed it to bare bones. They couldn't even afford a musical score. They had to go and find John Philip Sousa music that was in public domain that they could that they could use for the soundtrack of the Doc Savage movie. That's how bad it was. It was so bad that. Whoever the director guy that I'm thinking of, George, George something. Orwell. No, not George Orwell. It it was George, George Powell. That's his name. George Powell. George Powell was his name. He basically said no more movies after that. He was just devastated uh, by that. Uh, And so I think that there's I think that something similar is going on here. Diane Nelson out. New president comes in new president and also the merger and whoever's in charge at Warner Brothers and AT&T says, we want nothing of the old regime to be remembered. We have to tear that down. We have to get rid of it. And so a lot of these projects like the like the Booster Gold movie, like the like what's going on with whatever is going on with the Flash and the Green Lantern movie, like the the um, the Constantine, the Vertigo, all of this stuff. Mad Magazine just feels like and I'm going to echo what Ashley says just feels like someone wants to just come in and slash and burn because it reminds them too much of the old ways. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to surprise me. It, it It would be a real surprise if DC was sold because somebody at Warner Brothers needs to sit down to whoever's in charge and say, you do know that as long as we keep these IPs, we can keep selling merchandise and merchandise makes more money than the comic books uh,
3: i've, and, I've and just heard also some Disney really i've just heard some really interesting rumors about who wants to buy it and who's made offers and look rumors are rumors are rumors and we like not to deal in conjecture here right but typically um when you hear that somebody wants to buy something then that Even if that's not true, then other people show up and say, yes, I would like to buy this. Let me
2: guess. Is it Norelco? Are they are they going to or is it Revco? I forget which one Uh, it was. Was it Norelco that bought Marvel? The rumor
3: rumor that I have heard is uh, more of an online retailer that wants to be a studio and started out as a bookstore.
2: Oh, gross.
3: Which uh, would be interesting because then what if the only place that you and uh, that they also own a large digital comics platform. What if that was the only place you could get Batman? I mean, what well, if that was the only place snap. you could get any new DC comics?
2: I, I would be surprised if that. I mean, I would be surprised would too, and also but it's, not I be surprised. I think it, it's, a, it's a very interesting rumor. It's a very interesting rumor. I wonder if there is someone that you and I both know that we couldn't. He would never say anything. That's the problem with him. Mm-hmm. He is tight lipped. That guy is tight lipped. And I commend That's him for that.
1: That's how you keep your job in this industry.
2: Well, he's done very well for himself, so yeah. good for him. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. I, I, a world without Mad Magazine. Oh my gosh, who would have who would have thought? Listeners, what are your thoughts? Head over to Majorspoilers.com and in the comments section, let us know. Or even better, head over to our Discord server and uh, talk about it there with all these. There's like four hundred other people just hanging out in the Discord at any one time. Well, maybe not 400, but uh, several hundred people always hanging out, having something to say. And maybe you have some thoughts on Mad Magazine. Let's, uh, there's a link in the show notes to our Discord server, by the way. I also share it on our Twitter page and some other places as well. Let us jump into some reviews. Ashley. Uh, you and I have had some Twitter conversations about this, or maybe it was just uh, instant message conversations about this.
3: Uh, I think it was part of the time when you texted me and said, did the earthquake rush you?
2: Oh, right. Yeah, I was very concerned <laughs> about the earthquake with you guys because I saw that.
3: We, it was literally in this movie when the first of four. Yeah, wow. We're supposed to get another one this week. so Wow. Uh, you know. we,
2: we actually had in between the four that you had, we had two here. They weren't as big. They were only three, one and a four.
3: It's interesting because so much of an earthquake, just to diverge completely, are where you are located. So I've actually experienced um, uh, earthquakes that are higher on the Richter scale than that Mm -hmm. one. But because that one was closer, it felt... Baker. And that one that the first one was actually higher on the Richter scale than the Northridge earthquake, which mm-hmm. we generally think of in L.A. as being the last sort of big one. Yep. But it was so far that it didn't cause anywhere near the damage. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah.
2: I remember the Northridge earthquake. Now, I wasn't there, but my uh, my cousin was actually working for a news station and um, in the park in, in was it candlestick or whatever. When mm-hmm. that when that earthquake hit and it was shooting was shooting footage of that whole thing. So it's pretty crazy. Anyway, back to yesterday. Yeah. I'll I'll say this. I do like the Beatles music, maybe not as much as, as Jason and Ashley. But when, when I thought that this was a Netflix original movie, I was jumping up and down going, Oh, I can't wait to see this. When I found out it was a theatrical release, I kind of stepped back from it for whatever reason. And I, I don't know if it's because I didn't think that this movie was maybe worthy of, my movie ticket price but maybe you can convince me differently
3: i mean i completely loved it and uh, as steven has alluded i am a big beatles fan um the weekend before i went to see paul mccartney and when he played the first chord i burst into tears (laughs) to which jason turned to me and said what did you think was going to (laughs) happen so that's kind of where i'm coming from Um, I see that people are very split on this movie, and that uh, makes me sad because I really, really enjoyed it. It is written by the dude who wrote About Time. So if you have seen About Time, that is the sort of level of sentimentality um, that we are very much dealing in with this movie. But also, I think the trailer very much puts it on front street, what this movie is going to be. And for me, it uh, very much delivers on that. So Himesh Patel, who, if you're um, a British TV watcher who's written EastEnders, he dated Gemma Chan like five minutes before she became world famous, is a struggling musician. He gets in a bus accident and then no one remembers who the Beatles are. And so he decides he's going to play Beatles music. And of course, you know, becomes very famous because they're, you know, arguably some of the best songs ever, ever written and. Really, the reason that I think the movie works so well is because of Himesh Patel. He is charismatic. He can actually sing. He sings all the songs. He plays all the guitar, and he plays all of the piano, which is so incredible. And if it were made by a different director than Danny Boyle, and I like Danny Boyle, so like Mm -hmm. for me, this just checks a lot of boxes of things that I like. Um, If it were a director who was not Danny Boyle, and if it were perhaps not a primarily British-based production... It would have just been, you know, whatever other good-looking guy came into the room and they were like, it's okay, we just won't shoot your hands. And so... Um, because the Beatles came out in a time where you couldn't have 15 people who wrote who run the world girls and you had to write and actually perform and actually sing all of your music by yourself or primarily by yourself because, of course, there were songwriters or were producers. Um, To have a performer lead this movie and this thought experiment who is doing that same thing, I think lends a lot of credence to it. I think the soundtrack is incredible. And you can tell from the soundtrack that it's written not only as like it's a very sweet love story um again it's it's nothing revelatory but it hits all the beats well and it actually bothers to earn them, which is nice. Um, but you can also tell that it's written by, um, his name is Arthur something. I'm so Richard Arthur. Uh, you can tell that Richard Arthur did some research on the Beatles or was a fan because one of the songs he records is I saw her standing there, which is maybe not one of the more famous Beatles song, but it's the first one, the first track on their first album ever released. And like, you don't make that choice if you haven't done your research. Mm mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that I really admire in it. There's also, and I want to spoil it so bad and it's been out for like two weeks, but I won't spoil it. There is a scene about three quarters of the way through the movie that I was not prepared for and it made oh. me cry and it really works in the idea that like, this is a universe yes. where the Beatles never happened. Th- what the else one that, could possibly be true? Well,
2: if you want to make it even trippier, I don't know if you follow Ringo Starr on Twitter.
3: I do. He's but my favorite he, Beatle. <laughs> he, made, he made
2: a comment, I think, about the scene you're talking about. Yeah. So, um, peace and love, peace and love.
3: Yeah, it's a great, it's a really great scene. Um, it's really well executed. And it also, where it is set, like, geographically uh, in England is based off of an early Beatles interview. So, like. That's really cool. Um, the main criticism that I've seen people lob at this movie is they're like, it falls apart at the end. And I was like, did you think this movie was going to be a revelatory script? Because it's not. It does this specific thing very well. Of course it all, one story falls apart so that the other one can come together. And then he learns a lesson at the end and everyone is happy. Because that's, you know, so for me... I wasn't really expecting to have, like, my writer's brain socks blown off. So I was like, this is great. This is exactly how this movie is going to end. My biggest argument with this movie is that Kate McKinnon uh, plays his Hollywood agent. I, full disclosure, I don't love Kate McKinnon because she doesn't live in the same world as anyone else. She just lives in SNL at all times. And this movie is, um, other than the sort of overarching question of, like, what if the Beatles never exist? It's very grounded. It's very quiet. It feels very much like an indie film. She spends a full like 12 minutes screaming about how the lead actor is not attractive enough to Mm. be successful, Mm -hmm. which is hysterical because one, he's a very good looking man. And two, they have him in scenes with Ed Sheeran, who's goofy looking as all get out, but also very talented. Um, So that for me was like the moment where I felt it was like maybe too trite in trying to be like, this is like how Hollywood Big music will ruin your artistic integrity, and I was like, "Yeah, okay." Like, we know that. Seen uh, it. <laughs> seen it, and like, seen it handled a little more deftly. But I just sat there the whole time, being like, "But well, he's good looking and he could sing. Why isn't this going to work out for everyone?" Yeah. Uh, so I thought it was really, I thought it was really delightful. I really liked it. I think most people, if you're really into the Beatles, I think you'll really like it. I don't know if it will hit the same thing for a more casual fan. That it is hitting for me, but I also wanted to talk about it on this podcast in particular because it's also low-key a sci-fi movie. Yeah,
2: that's <laughs> that's that's the coolest part about it when I was like, oh, he's either in another dimension or this is all a dream, but a world without the Beatles. And this guy is going to do the Beatles. I'm really down for this. And then I was like, Yeah, but I'm not seven fifty or twelve dollars down for this.
3: I mean, I thought it was, I pay $17 to go to the movie. So I thought it was worth it, but okay. I will, uh, this might entice some people, maybe not Steven, um, because we do know Steven is a super villain, but <laughs> there are, he's not the only person who remembers that the Beatles existed. Oh, really? And okay. When that scene is addressed, it's handled in a way that really subverted my expectations. Um, and I think it's kind of, uh, I think it's kind of, and the Beatles aren't the only other thing that blipped out of this universe. So at various points, he says something and then has to do like furious Googling to figure out if they're punking him or not. Um, And that's also kind of a fun thought experiment to be like, Oh, what if X never happened?
2: You say I'm a super villain, but I try to be a super good guy, but there are times where I'm so pressured that I just want to just say, you know what? I'm just going to turn super evil.
3: I actually say that because on one of the very first major spoilers I ever listened to, you guys were all talking about like what, Sort of tr- like trope in comics you would fill, and you were like, "I'm definitely a super
2: villain."
3: And I remember being like, "I don't know, Steven seems like a really nice guy."
2: <laughs> I try to be, I really try, but honestly, I was going to put this thought question out into either on the Discord or onto Twitter this week. Going, at what point do you try so hard to be good, and the universe keeps kicking you in the teeth? Do you s- yeah. decide that, nope, I'm going to go full on evil? If you're going to treat me this way, I'm going to go the other way and just go full on evil. So that's that may be a thought question that somebody at uh, listening to the show, can can share with us a podcast at Majorspoilers.com or on Twitter or on Discord or wherever it may be. Uh, my son, I don't know why, because my wife is watching it with him, but he's obsessed with the family guy at the moment. Oh, boy. Yeah, he's 12, so, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've already ruined him. Uh, you know, I am a supervillain. I've already ruined him for as far <laughs> as parenting goes. But the one thing that I'm very interested in is the fact that you know without the family guy we couldn't have the orville and i re- right. i remember watching like the first half of the first season of of the orville going this is a really good star trek series and now it's a comic book rodrigo coming out uh, it, or just came out from uh, dark horse comics
1: yeah uh, i definitely the 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 main uh, paradox for me is that without family guy we wouldn't have had cosmos right which was True. such a such a great series right um, but yeah, the Orville too, and it's it's crazy to um, watch uh, the same uh, writer, uh, like the, kind of the same head writer, tackle some things tactfully that he wouldn't in that other show, and fumble to tackle certain things tactfully that he definitely fumbles on the other show. So it's kind of a mixed bag, but it's fun, and and it is. It's just such a so. Uh, it's like to to call it an homage is to. Oh no, to,
2: he's, stra- to be he's straight. Up, he's he straight up. He's just straight up doing a fan film of the or of uh, yeah. Star Trek, and is not letting anybody's lawyers try to send him a cease and desist. And, I mean, they tried and, and it failed.
1: And, and and the thing about it is, is that uh, a Star Trek type show, as Babylon Five has shown us, there's there's more to explore outside of the uh, parameters set down by either. Gene Roddenberry or Paramount or whoever, right? There is more to do in a world that is like this. And the Orville definitely goes down some places and explores some stuff. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm into it. Um, this issue, uh, which I believe is titled The Orville Number 1, Colon, New Beginnings Part 1 of 2, uh, which is a little confusing to me, uh, is takes place in between season one and season two, which is again, a little confusing because it's coming out now uh, after season two has ended. So I would have expected the next thing to be something that comes out after season two. Um, I guess this is the sort of, um, the sort of patient intelligent decision that I would hope companies would do more often rather than jump on what is, you know, the brand new thing to be like, let's go back and tell a story that happens in the interim between well, these two things. You know,
2: you you think that's weird, but Archie is doing that right now with Riverdale. They've got uh, the new Riverdale series, whatever it is, is set between seasons two and three. And I think there's one of them that's actually set in between episodes.
1: Well, and, and let's face it, there is definitely at least one franchise that we can easily point to that is constantly doing this, often even well, and that's Doctor Who, right? It's like mm-hmm. you have more stories from every doctor that happen in the in between times. It's a kind of a stretch with the Eccleston doctor, but pretty much every other doctor since then and before that had had some leeway. Um, As to when things were happening. Except maybe the one immediately prior to it. Anyway, back to the Orville. Um, uh, So one thing that's nice and pretty impressive about this book is that all the art is uh, trying to go very closely to the actors. So you look at it and there sure is Seth MacFarlane on the page looking back at you. Um, The uh, artist uh, David Cabeza does a really good job. Um I think with everyone except for uh, Adrian Poliki but maybe she just has a difficult face to capture I don't know everybody else is great um uh other than that this is one issue it already kind of has the pitfall of like do I care about this story because I know that not that much can change in the, over the course of this book we see the first meeting between two characters that are going to have an important relationship in Season 2. But I'm like, did we need that? Did we actually need to see that relationship happen? Whereas on the first episode of Season 2, it's either already in the works or already finalized, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. do we actually need to see that? Does this enhance my viewing of this? Um, And again, there's kind of a lot to set up in a single issue to to to, to kind of get the story going so not a lot happens um i'm gonna give it three slices of meatloaf it's above average okay. i mean the art really carries this thing because the orville looks like the sets from the show the characters look like the people from the show um and there are some weird aliens and that's cool um The story, nothing wrong with it, but it's still kind of getting us cooking towards what it wants to do. So, uh, definitely three stars.
2: So, the Orville number one comes out on July 17th from Dark Horse Comics. So, that's next week. You guys can go check that out. Coming out this week from Titan Comics is Blade Runner 2019 number one. Now, a couple of things you should be aware of. The Blade Runner movie that came out in, what, 85? That Mm -hmm. was set in the year 2019. Right. So it's taking place the same time, apparently, as this book is supposed to take place. The book, uh, the comic book postulates that there is a veteran runner called Ash, Mm -hmm. and she is the best that there ever was. And she has apparently taken down the last of the uh, of the replicants running around. And so she's kind of uh, got some downtime coming to her. But then she gets tapped to go track down a kidnapped um, mother and child of this billionaire in town in Los Angeles. So this all takes place in the same town that Deckard is still running around in. But uh, now she needs to go find these kidnapped uh, um, mother and, and, and daughter who may have been kidnapped by a replicant for some purpose we don't know. So... Just the fact that they're setting it in the same time as Deckard and they're putting replicants on the ground and they're, you know, according to the movie, replicants haven't been around for quite a while on Earth. I don't know. There's some weirdness going on there as far as how do we justify this story putting in the current, you know, in the continuity of the Blade Runner universe. So there's that one little minor issue that I have to quibble with. Other than that, this is a very fine cyberpunk dystopian future where a woman who may not all be human herself has to solve a mystery. And what Titan comics does really good, especially their hard case crime imprint is they tell detective noir tales very, very well. Now this is written by or co-written by Mike Johnson, who has done a uh, Batman, Superman, Supergirl. He's done the star Trek stuff over at IDW. He's written a lot of the crossover stuff, which I've really, really enjoyed. Um, the writing here is is really solid. The art is really really solid. I just, I, I at this point haven't figured out why this has to be a Blade Runner comic book when it probably could very easily be a robot hunter killer person in any other universe. I'm hoping that that comes up. I'm hoping that the these people have been kidnapped by replicants or one of the people that's been kidnapped is actually a replicant, uh, something along those lines. But um, I mean, this is this is the Blade Runner universe. She does have a flying car. We do get to see the Los Angeles Police Department in the uh, uh, from the movie that shows up. Um, There's no mention made of Deckard. Uh, There's no mention made of the um, chief of police. Uh, He just died recently, I want to say, or within the last couple of years, I thought he died. Um, You know, these people that we have seen in the movies are not mentioned here. Now, the Tyrell Corporation, obviously, is mentioned The last place that they saw the girl uh, and the mother was coming back from a party at the Tyrell Corporation's daughter's house, which is also very interesting. Um, So I don't know. I really want to see where this thing goes. Uh, Titan Comics is certainly putting a lot of um, of their backing and publicity behind this. They've been plugging this thing for a better part of nine months now, it feels like. But Blade Runner 2019, number one, it's good. I still want to see where it's going going uh, in the end. This is a Four Slices of Meatloaf book for me. It's by Michael Green, Mike Johnson, with um, with art by, I'm going to butcher it, uh, Andreas or Andre uh, Guinaldo, Guinaldo. But it's out this week from Titan Comics. They try to keep everyone hush hush on this, but by the time you hear it, it'll already be the 10th. So there you go. Uh, I had another question, but I think we'll just uh, uh, pass it, uh, skip over it. Uh, We all went to go see Spider-Man Far From Home. We talk a little bit about that over in the Major Spoilers pre-show. What is the Major Spoilers pre-show? Well, if you are a patron at the $5 level or higher, you get access to this week almost an hour's worth of bonus content where we are just sitting around talking about things like Spider-Man Far From Home, Stranger Things, uh, The Walking Dead, um, just some other miscellaneous stuff. That's just one of the bonuses that you get when you become a patron at patreon.com slash Major Spoilers. I was really excited. I for, I kind of forgot what, what story this was when I when uh, it fell on the discussion. This week we're talking Atomic Robo and the Savage Sword of Dr. Dinosaur. It's the eighth volume in the series for Brian Clevenger and Scott Wegner. I am still a huge, 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 huge fan of Atomic Robo. But I will say this as we get into the discussion. This is my least favorite of all the story arcs. And I... I haven't really pinned it down. I your I least favorite one. This is my least favorite one of all the story arcs. I get that. Why?
1: Uh, I think it's really disjointed. I think that, um, there is kind of an ongoing uh, atomic robo story, right? And during this story they decide to separate Atomic Robo from that ongoing storyline, do kind of a loop around with this other story. Meanwhile, all of the less interesting non-robots are dealing with the fallout of the actual history of Atomic Robo. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like, anytime we're like, all right, Dr. Dinosaur, sure is hilarious. Next page, we're cutting back to, like, Tesla Dine Island or whatever, being under siege because of things that happened like two volumes ago
2: I want to say two or three volumes ago two
1: or three volumes ago yeah. so it's and, and and they never connect you know doctor dinosaur's plan has nothing to do with that um it's like they're they're relevant to each other because robo's not present mm-hmm. during that siege um but that's that's about what it is is like any anything could have happened to robo he could have been traveling through time he could have been in some other uh vampire dimension or anything could have happened to him to to miss that section um and and the story would have developed the exact same way
2: yeah 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 so robo and he, he picks you know four random people to go with him to science city a Nazi uh, space program uh, deep in Venezuela where he meets Dr. Dinosaur and his mind control things and his conqueror worms and his plot to uh, blow up a time bomb, different kind of time bomb, not the time bomb you're thinking of. Right. And then meanwhile, there is this whole section where the Tesla people are dealing with fallout from the Kaiju storyline and the ghosts. What is it? The ghost of station X storyline in this. Now, Ashley, do you read Atomic Robo regularly? No. Okay. Uh, w- were you able to follow along what was going on in this story?
3: Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, after a couple pages, it was not too bad. I have read Atomic Robo, but I've read a lot of the earlier. Cl- I can't even right. think, and it's been like years since right, I right. last read an Atomic Robo. But uh, we have them all. Yeah. They're so all here. <laughs> yeah.
2: No. And and what's what's interesting, in and and I can't remember. It may have been the previous story arc before this one, because this this story, Savage Sword of Dr. Dinosaur, is, I want to say, might be like four or five years old now at this point. And I think part of the problem is and I can't remember the exact timeline. So somebody who's more down on this than me, uh, please let me know. But at one point, Clevenger and Wegner decided, you know what, we're done with dealing with Red Five. We're done with dealing with these schedules that we have to meet, and we're going to take Atomic Robo online, and we're going to release a new page of the comic. I think it's three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So for those of you that are like, oh, man, Atomic Robo, I—I where can I buy this? You don't have to buy it if you don't want. You can go to the Atomic Robo website, and you can read all of the Atomic Robo books for free. It's absolutely there in webcomic form. What we are reading is the print copy that IDW Publishing uh, puts together. What I think kind of happens and makes this somewhat disjointed, Rodrigo, especially with the whole stuff that's going on on um, with Jenkins and everybody at um, Majestic 12 and, and, and Tesla Dyna Island is that it's suffering from the, we have multiple storylines that we're telling in a serialized daily or three times a week page. Um, format, and I think that's what makes it somewhat disjointed, in that, for us, the reader, yes, we're reading this non-stop, but for people who read this originally, in the original form, they were reading it, serialized, one page here, one page there, or over the course of a week, three pages of, of this storyline, and then the next week, three pages of the next storyline, and so on, and that, I think, kind of makes us feel very jumpy, because quite honestly, pull out all the Tesladyne stuff, and just keep the Savage Sword of Dr. Dinosaur on Dinosaur Island. Mm-hmm. And that would have been just a fine story by itself.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is that the, those two stories are not connected. Right. So at any given point, I, I, you know, it's like obviously I cared more about the one with the rock monsters and the talking dinosaur and of the course. robot. Yeah. But if you're, you know, if you're big into Atomic Robo, chances are that you are like, oh no, is that, Are those Tesla dine employees that have been previously uh, introduced that I have come to care about going to die because Mm -hmm. Majestic is gonna or what is it?
2: Yeah, it's Majestic Twelve.
1: Yeah, because they're 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 gonna kill them. It's like I mean those that's a that's a fair way to go with this. And then all of a sudden we cut back to, um, you know, psychic rock monsters that are not relevant to the story. I don't know. I mean, I think that. Uh, if I had recently read prior issues to Atom- of Atomic Robo, I might have more of a like through line to this and be mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, I remember why the stakes are where they are. But even then, Atomic Robo uh, volumes skip around in time a fair bit. So I don't know that reading the immediately prior volume would have been that helpful. I I honestly don't remember.
2: What were you going to say, Ashley?
3: I was just saying that I I agree because I had no idea who any of these supporting characters were.
2: A lot of them have shown up. I mean, so when we look at it, we did the we've done the deadly art of science. That was when that was an old story uh, set back in the day. Uh, I'm pretty sure I thought we did the ghost of Station X and I thought we did well, if we did the ghost of Station X, then this would be the next one in the series. Yeah, uh, the I, kai, the Kaiju one would have been like, ooh, that would have been like, oh so man, that would have been I, a I long not, time ago. That would have been the Shadow from... Be, no, not even Shadow from Beyond Time. No, that would have been strangeness 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 yeah, the other Strangeness story. Yeah, other Strangeness.
1: big in Japan, I think, is yeah. the, the Kaiju one, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the I'm pretty sure that the last... Atomic Robo thing that I read was other strangeness. Mm-hmm but it was a long time ago. So I haven't read, there's like Deadly Art of Science is another one. Station X is another one. Mm -hmm. If we did them on the show, I was either not present or I did just completely fallen out of my brain.
2: Yeah, it's been a couple of years. I'm pretty sure we did the Ghost of Station X. I know I've did the original uh, single issue reviews. The other thing that is somewhat confusing too is for a long time, they were flipping back and forth between doing an Atomic Robo story And then doing another story like the Flying She-Devils of the Pacific, which is a great story just by itself. Um, So you're right. There is stuff that goes back not quite a decade, but at least eight years when you're getting into the Kaiju story stuff and the Majestic stuff. And the Ghost of Station X is, I think, where all of it kind of converges into the Majestic 12 and everyone's out to kill Atomic Robo and the government's trying to put him down kind of stuff. Um, which is where they're trying to still pick up from in Savage Sword of Dr. Dinosaur. But you're right, that could have just been a single issue by itself or, uh, you know, a a bonus um, story somewhere. But I think it really could have been excised from this collected volume, and it would make a um, lot more sense.
1: I think, uh, uh, like, did we do this? Because in your notes, it was the next thing that Mm -hmm. we hadn't done yet. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think this is just... You know, it's like when you have multi-volume things, you're going to have that middle volume. Mm-hmm. And the longer you go, you're going to have that middle volume multiple times. Yep. And that's, that's what Savage Sword of Dr. Dinosaur feels like. It feels like they were like, we need to get Tesla Dine from this point in the previous story to this point for the story that we actually want to tell. How do mm-hmm. we do that? The way that we do that is... We roll it in that direction, and we wrap it in a story about Doctor Dinosaur, whom everybody loves.
2: Right, and, and, you and gotta that's kind of what this feels like. Doctor Dinosaur is the best parts of every every page of this this volume. Yeah, right, Ashley.
3: Totally, I didn't know who this character was. He's <laughs> not appeared in any of the Atomic <laughs> Robo that I've read before. Um, but I really like this podcast called last podcast on the left uh-huh. and because, and that largely deals with like either murders or conspiracy theories. Right. So I'm very familiar with the hollow earth because mm-hmm. they did a series on it and it was, they have a very crazy co-host and it I, it was basically this dinosaur, except he's a human in real life. So for me on like this weird, very meta perspective, I was like, this is great. Yeah, I, um, I and then wanna... every time we kind of cut back to, um, tesla die and i was like this is less great but i do like i i don't know if i don't remember him or if i've never seen him before but i like jenkins i thought he was like real funny and every time they're like talking smack about atomic robo he's throwing tvs out the Mm -hmm. window like i was here for the crazy violence in this oh yeah
2: i think the first (laughs) appearance of of dr dinosaur was in 2009 the free comic book day called why atomic robo hates dr dinosaur i think is the first appearance of dr dinosaur
3: well, because so, uh, I was scrolling through their archives looking for this volume, oh, okay. and I was all I could remember was that there it was called something something Dr. Dinosaur, and I was yeah. like, "There's a whole bunch of something something Dr. Dinosaurs." So yeah, I he's look. just or Dr. this Dr.
1: Dinosaur something yeah. something. Yeah, he,
3: he is
2: just <laughs> this wackadoo. <laughs> what is he? He's not even a raptor, is he? What is he, Rodrigo? Well,
1: that's, that's that's the whole thing with Dr. Dinosaur, right? Is that Dr. Dinosaur is like supposed to be this genius dinosaur?
2: Mm-hmm. You can't
1: tell exactly what kind of dinosaur. He is, but all of his theories are wrong. All of his science is incorrect and completely improbable. And yet somehow it all still works. And that's kind of what vexes Atomic Robo is that all of these dumb pseudoscientific things that Dr. Dinosaur does still all work and they shouldn't.
2: Right. Isn't that, isn't that like the perfect, I mean, isn't that the perfect, I mean, even though Edison and Tesla were arch nemeses of one another, and Edison kind of became Robo's kind of pseudo arch nemesis. It yeah. really is Doctor Dinosaur who's all about pseudoscience, and Atomic Robo who's all about real science, and they're always colliding because of this very exact same that you explained.
3: Yeah, well, they do. Uh, doc- they give Robo this affect, which is a human affect, like a robot would not do it. Mm-hmm. Where every time Dr. Dinosaur's like, your mom is blue be blue 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 blue, he like pinches the bridge of his nose. Yes, yes. Because he's so frustrated. Um, I think the best thing about that character is the lettering. Like the mm-hmm. way his speech bubbles appear is such a great character choice. And it tells you so much by doing so little about who this absolute lunatic is.
2: Plus, his eyes don't point in the same direction. Yeah, I also know If helps. you look
1: at early appearances of Dr. Dinosaur, Dr. Dinosaur gets a lot wackier
2: mm-hmm. in,
1: the, in the later <laughs> versions. Like he is just like full on like uh Igor from yeah. um uh, Yeah, from young yeah, Frankenstein yeah. there at the end. Yeah. Yeah.
2: No, it's and, and I think the other reason why I thought we probably should get to this is because my my favorite story arc so far is the next arc where this time bomb, which isn't just a bomb that goes off because you set a timer, it's actually supposed to... Although it does that. It does that, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it actually turns out to be a bomb that it will, blow in this time. case, blow up time and sends Atomic Robo back to the Old West, which brings us to the um, Knights of the Golden Circle, uh, which is the next arc, which all takes place in the West. Now, the cool thing is... And this is what I like about Clevenger and his writing is he spends a lot of time doing actual hardcore research on all of this. So, Ashley, while you love this hollow earth theory because you've you've heard these other people yeah, talk yeah. about on the podcast, yeah. Clevenger has actually gone in and done all the research and has gone in and, and done as much discovery as he can on the it's hollow earth insane. theory and then brings so that done, to the comic it. book. What's that?
3: I said it's insane, it's so dumb, but it's like one of those things, one of those conspiracy theories that you love because it's so dumb. Like my favorite oh, right. conspiracy theory is that JonBenet Ramsey grew up to be Katy Perry. Oh, no. That's a good one. It's so great. <laughs>
2: oh, man. Um, well, and so that's what I find really cool about the Knights of the Golden Circle is I had interviewed him on, the I think it was a major spoilers podcast, when this was first coming out uh, many years ago. Um, and just talking about all the research that he did into Uh, This next story. So he does this all the time with with the books. And then, of course, Wegner is just fantastic when it comes to the art. And so I don't know. This is still a big win win combo for me, even though this is my least favorite of all the story arcs. Rodrigo, what do you think? Any any thoughts on 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 this uh, entire arc?
1: Yeah, I think. I think this arc is designed to get us there. This Mm -hmm. arc is designed to resolve some of the issues uh, that they set up with um, sort of uh, Robo's animosity with the government and to, you know, have him time travel for the next arc. That's what this feels like. This feels like a like a setup, like a trampoline to get us where we actually need to be. Mm
2: -hmm. And it
1: suffers for it. and. I kind of don't have much else to say about it. Yeah, Uh, The parts that are funny and exciting are funny and exciting, but it's really mired in uh, what is clearly like, you know, five issues of transition, which is a lot of issues to transition.
2: I think that's interesting because, you know, atomic robo hasn't been around that long, but by this, by this part in the, in the overall story of atomic robo that they've developed, it really shows here are the problems with something that's mired in heavy continuity. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I it's, it's troublesome. This is probably not a book that I would recommend people picking up uh, for their first time reading atomic robo. Ashley,
3: I would, I would echo that. I mean, my issues with it just come from, uh, I think having literally not read the volume that immediately precedes this, Mm. which I mean, it's debatable right in modern comics, whether or not, that's necessary or not but i still i enjoyed this a heck of a lot more than i've enjoyed many things i've read recently uh it doesn't in any way turn me off from reading more atomic robo mm-hmm. but i agree with you like i would not recommend picking this up if you are a first time uh robo ear that was really bad <laughs> robo tear uh, um hello robo tears yeah, actually he's Roboteer. got a
2: name Oh man, I'm gonna have to go and find it. I think he's actually got a name for a fan club of kids in one of the issues. Maybe it's uh, not come up yet.
3: All right, you let me know if you find it. Okay, but I think I, it's in I the. I think it's in the
2: Deadly Art of Science. I'll have to look.
3: I think. Stay tuned next week. <laughs> no, Same probably not. Robo time. <laughs> Same Robo place. Um, but I, I think if you are familiar with the characters, and I would assume if you're familiar with Doctor Dinosaur, it's fun to have him crop up again because he's great.
2: Yeah, definitely. I would definitely say go to Atomic Robo. What is it? The uh, atomic hyphen Go to the archives. Just start with the first volume, uh, which is the fighting scientists of Tesla Dine. And just watch Robo beat up a bunch of Nazis and fight, you know, brains in jars and all that kind of stuff. And then just, you know, just enjoy these adventures because they're really, really good. And uh, I think I think you'll uh, get a kick out of them. I and if you're looking for uh, trade collections of this. It's really hard to find, but I would say keep an eye out on the Atomic Robo site because uh, Wegner and uh, Clevenger will run Kickstarters all the time where they will collect these into volumes. And so uh, the most recent one is uh, not the Savage Sword of Dr. Dinosaur. It is the Temple of uh, Odd. That one just finished. And oftentimes what they will do is they will give you um, opportunities to buy additional hardcovers of the past volumes if you want them. Yes,
3: I was I was going to say, I believe they sell some of them directly through the Patreon because yeah. I think that's where our copies come from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So,
2: oh, yeah. Through the Patreon, too. And yeah, so uh, go check that out. And, and the cool thing, and again, I'm not going to try to plug their Patreon page, but one of the cool things, because I'm a um, supporter of their Patreon page, is that you get an inside look as to what is going on in Clevenger's mind as they're working on stories. Mm-hmm. And sometimes uh, Wagner will jump in with some original art and that kind of stuff. So um, you can all find that at atomic robocom dot com. Again, you don't have to buy anything. Everything's there for free. And that's really cool. You know what else is free? This show. But you know what? Yeah. We can't do this show forever because we'd run out of hard drive space and the download for you would be <laughs> very, very, very long. So we're going to end it right there this week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of the major spoilers experience.
1: Uh, we do love your feedback. Use the comment section at Major Spoilers to share your thoughts and reactions to this episode.
3: Or even better, you can send us a message to podcasts at Majorspoilers.com.
1: And don't forget, you can support this show and everything we do by becoming a patron at Patreon.com slash spoilers.
2: We will be back next week. Oh, we're going to revisit Astro City next week. Why? Because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon.
0: Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. beat the man of steel I'm gonna rearrange your face if you continue to debate whether Logan's claws could pierce Steve Rogers' shield I just couldn't care less
2: if they bring back Craven. and I
1: don't
0: care if Spider-Man's a clone stop spending
2: This podcast is copyright 2019 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.